Hi everyone, and welcome to NAIS Member Voices. I'm Scott Donaldson. Before we jump in, I'd like to thank this episode's sponsor, CCS Fundraising. For over 70 years, CCS has empowered many of the world's greatest organizations to advance some of the most important causes in history. Each year, CCS provides tailored support to more than 500 nonprofit organizations. With over 300 professionals and 15 offices worldwide, CCS helps independent schools achieve outstanding fundraising results through an array of services, including strategic planning, campaign counsel, data analytics, and interim development management. Learn more at ccsfundraising.com. This month, I'm excited to feature another episode from our sister NAIS podcast, The Trustee Table. As a reminder, The Trustee Table provides insights and information for trustees, board chairs, and school leaders on critical governance and leadership issues. Each episode includes a discussion with an expert in the field on a specific topic or challenge facing independent schools. The following episode, Fundraising Fundamentals, The Trustee's Role in Philanthropy, features Dave Sternberg, Senior Governance Consultant for BoardSource and a faculty member at the Lilly School of Philanthropy at Indiana University's Fundraising School, who discusses the biggest misconceptions trustees have about fundraising, how they can become more comfortable in their fundraising role, and presents ways to build and sustain donor relationships. We hope you enjoy. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Trustee Table. I'm Anne-Marie Balzano, Director of Leadership and Governance, and today I'll be speaking with Dave Sternberg. Dave has been a fundraising professional since obtaining his BA degree from The Ohio State University. He is a faculty member at the Lilly School of Philanthropy at Indiana University's Fundraising School, where he teaches courses such as Building the Annual Fund and Marketing for Fundraising. Dave is also a Senior Governance Consultant for BoardSource and is the only person in America to be affiliated with both the Lilly School of Philanthropy and BoardSource. In 1996, Dave founded Loring, Sternberg & Associates, providing fundraising counsel to educational foundations, social service organizations, higher education, and membership organizations. In 2008, Dave authored the second and third edition of Fearless Fundraising for Nonprofit Boards, a publication for BoardSource and a bestseller since its publication. Dave, thank you for taking a seat at the table today. Thanks for inviting me. I'm glad to be here. Well, we are thrilled for you to be here. And I'm just going to jump in and start with a question that I know many of our listeners would like to hear the answer to, which is trustees are already serving their schools in a big way. So why should they also have to give and ask for money? Well, that's a big question. The reality is, I think when we look at the, you know, the mission of the work that we do in the schools, we're looking at supporting many things that aren't covered by the cost of going to school. So if your school offers, for example, scholarships, You have additional programs that you offer to students at no cost but still need funded. If, you know, you're interested in maintaining your, you know, building and you need a maintenance fund, those are all rationales for philanthropy and why it's important. I don't shortcut the value of people's time and talent, but their treasure is important too. And I think the biggest issue is when you are asking others to support your school, you know, the the notion that you would say, it would be great if you supported the school. I mean, I don't, but it would be great if you did. It's kind of, it's kind of a weak, a weak approach to getting people to support it as well. So your support, you know, sets a tone for others. Absolutely. And so in, in your experience, then, what do you think is the biggest misconception that independent school trustees have about fundraising? I think it's two things, really. Um, one is many of them believe it's not their job. And 
I, I can I can follow the logic on it's you know it's not my job. I mean we may have development staff and therefore that's what they're being paid to do. In addition to when the when a board member is recruited, if we have not made it clear that that's part of their role, then why would they believe it is? So the theory it's not my job you know is an easy one to understand. The the other thing is that a lot of trustees uh, will believe that the only thing, when we bring up fundraising, the only thing we are asking people to do is ask for money. Mm-hmm. And, and to me, that becomes challenging for those whose comfort isn't in, in asking for money. So if that is the standard by which we're gonna measure the word fundraising, then it, then it, you know, it, it's, a, it's an end of conversation for people. I'm, I don't wanna ask, so don't include me. And there's way more to it than that. Hmm. That's really interesting. I like the idea of sort of reconceptualizing the the idea of fundraising. And so I definitely want to hear a little bit more about that. And the other thing that I liked what you just said was the idea that it's everybody's job on the board, that, you know, when you're recruiting trustees, that they understand that that's a piece of the work. And I think that that's something for our board chairs to really think about when they're creating their, you know, orientation or onboarding processes. Yeah. And, and the example of board chair sets is very important you know Mm -hmm. as the leader what they do you know they're setting a tempo they're helping to create a culture so that that position is important for a lot of reasons but that they can have an impact on the culture of philanthropy on our board and within our school Mm -hmm. absolutely so so you mentioned before about this idea of you know looking at fundraising from lots of different angles so you know how in your mind can trustees become more comfortable in their fundraising role knowing that there might be some different definitions. Yeah, absolutely. The, the, the first thing, quite honestly, and this is sort of a personal moment for, for trustees, is, you know, do you accept the role? You know, you, 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 if, if culturally within, within our board we accept this as a role, I'm, I'm over that hump. The other thing is how do we train board members? So I think that the, the ways we can create the comfort are training our, our trustees and board members to be good at this. And part of that training, as I mentioned a moment ago, is to separate fundraising from the development process, which has multiple parts. The question becomes, which part do you want to play? So can we train our trustees to feel like we understand what our case is? Why are we raising money? What's the benefit? Who benefits from it? Why is it important? And make them comfortable talking about the institution. A lot of people a lot of board members will say, I, I just don't know how to bring up the conversation. So training can certainly help in that regard. The other element is if you have a development staff, um, and maybe sometimes it's even the head of school, who is helping to support our board members in that activity? So they're not going to go at this alone. There's going to be staff help to support them in the process of, of engaging with you know, external constituents, parents, grandparents, whomever it may be that we want to seek support from. So, you know, those are the ways um, that, you know, we can help create comfort. I like that. And, you know, as you were speaking, I was thinking about, you know, the idea of of storytelling as part of fundraising, you know, to have something like really powerful and compelling about your school that you can share, that you can, you know, that incites some passion in you, right, that that you would want to to share with potential donors. Yeah, I, I think, you know, one of the strategies is, when you when you devote time, whether this is a retreat or this is a board meeting, but when you devote time to helping board members craft their own personal, I, I'm using air quotes now, pitch, <laughs> you mm-hmm. know, it has to be theirs. 
it can't be I memorize the story about and and even if I memorize the story about the starting point well then you need to practice it a bit so it becomes your story and how you talk about the organization yeah that's right that authenticity is really key that's the word I was looking for see I if you weren't here I wouldn't remember that (laughs) Um, so so what are some effective ways then to build and sustain donor relationships well I, I go back to some of the earlier comments when I said we're doing development and not fundraising Mm-hmm. Part of the training that we offer to trustees ought to be that development is where we cultivate, solicit, and steward. Soliciting is easy. That's just asking for money. The question I ask in creating good long-term relationships is, are we cultivating and stewarding those relationships? So does does our board have a culture where, for example, some groups have a matrix of, of activities? So it, it could be something as simple as, when we're oriented as a board member, we're given a, a list of activities that we suggest board members get engage in to create, cultivate, steward relationships. They may be things happening at the school. So I'm, you know, there's a there's always um, a row of five seats at any theater production, and those are reserved for board members, trustees to bring in, you know, folks to to introduce them to the school. There's always, you know, a budget set aside for people to eat, you know, in the building with the head of school and a board member. But, you know, what are the activities that we're doing that demand that we are interacting with, you know, important constituents? So, you know, is there an ongoing list that your organization has? Do you want to create one as a board? You know, I, I sort of joked recently with a uh, with an organization's board, and I said, you know, one of the board members said, well, it's it's about making friends. And I said, well, mm-hmm. it kind of is. It's, you know, h- how do you interact with your own peers? I don't, I don't know that it's a whole lot more complicated than that. So th- those are some things groups have done. So, but again, it, if you're not going to devote time to it, it's hard to create consistency around it. I think that's really true. And I like that idea of, of stewarding that relationship. It's not just like necessarily a one-off, like, okay, I've asked for money, you've gave it to me, and now that's it. <laughs> That seems very transactional. <laughs> yeah, exactly it. I mean, when 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 or when when a school looks at the donors that have supported them long term, there's a relationship there. Now, not every board member or trustee may know what the history of that relationship is, but that 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 supporters, whatever that is, someone has needs to maintain that. When you know you 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 know you started by asking, you know, well they're serving. Why should they also give? Well you know, imagine what a university does, you know, they're raising money and they have their own foundations in most cases, but they're not asking that question. You know, they understand the need for philanthropy and understand the nature to create these long-term relationships, which results in those really big gifts that universities raise. And so I'm, I'm going to go off a little, little topic here, just because I, you know, what, what you were saying about, you know, building these relationships and, and I wonder if you've seen in your work, like that, that tension between, you know, big donors, you know, providing a lot for the school, but then expecting something in return that, that maybe the school cannot provide. Sometimes, but, but the reality is, is I think the development process in the school has to have a history and a culture that is about, you know, the benefit of philanthropy for all, and, and while I'm, I certainly have no issue with recognition, you know, are we naming something? Are we putting a name on a donor wall, et cetera? You know, how my grandchild gets treated a generation from now is a whole nother subject. I mean, there, mm-hmm. there cannot be that sort of direct preferential treatment. 
mm-hmm. for 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 those individuals. So, I, you know, don't jump to accepting a gift without thinking about what the long term ramifications are in doing so. And I, I'd be honest with you, I, I don't see it a ton, mm-hmm. um, but I'm sure it happens. You know. Well, thank you. So then, from from an oversight perspective. What should a board make sure that its school has in place to do its very best with fundraising? Well, I, I again, I think there's two things here. One is a staffing model who has in part its responsibility to support the board's actions with respect to doing the work of development. So as I mentioned earlier, are, are we able to create an environment where board members can steward and solicit and uh, cultivate and are we also supporting them literally by going with them to make individual visitations and, and having individual interaction? Are we giving them information they need? I've always found volunteers, if we if we cast a wider net and just say volunteers, mm-hmm. volunteers need support. They're, they're not just free labor. You know, they care. And how do we make them successful at their jobs? And staff ought to view it as part of their role support the success of those individuals because those connections are important to our institutions. So staff, uh, you know, staff support is important. And again, I think setting aside time at board meetings devoted to talking about the issue of development and fundraising is very important. You know, when I look at board minutes from organizations and I and I interview trustees, I'll say, well, how important is fundraising? And they'll say, well, it's super important. I and mean, we talk about it all the time. And I'll look at board meeting minutes, you know, and except for the gala, mm-hmm. you know, it just doesn't come up. So I'm wondering how it's important when they're really, they have a belief they're talking about it, but that doesn't mean that they are. So, you know, and by the way, not at the end of the meeting. I mean, <laughs> if, if it's that important, you know, anything that happens at the end, no one remembers. So it's, okay. it's about consistency and placement. And actually, as you were saying that, I was thinking, gosh, could this even be part of board education, right? I mean, if if our goal is for boards to engage in more learning during board meetings, could we integrate this idea of fundraising and and how do you do the ask and and how do you, like you said, cultivate and steward different donors could be part of that? There's zero question. And and, And what's interesting is if you, if you look at the board building cycle, which um, board source has has published and and has even updated recently. They'll say part of the board building cycle, which of course is recruitment through support through removing people like they they reach their limit and they're rolling off the board. One is education, and and the suggestion is is that every board meeting has some bit of education at the start, even if it's ten minutes. And so sort of that notion of an educational drip, right? Mm-hmm. Little bit. At the beginning, you could pick all kinds of topics. You could let's practice our stories with one another and then share one or two publicly. You know, if I ask board members what's education, they say the mission, the budget. You know, education might be, you know, what are the what are the biggest challenges facing us financially that we need to be aware of? So when we're out talking about the institution, we can frame conversations appropriately. What are our competitors doing? You know, how do we, you know, how do we how do we solicit someone? There, there's all kinds of things talking about wills and bequests, talking about, you know, distributions from IRAs. There's a whole host of things that you could do quickly and informatively and, you know, might encourage people to start conversations they otherwise wouldn't have had. Right, exactly. I'm so passionate about about board education. I, I believe so strongly that boards need to be learning organizations if they want their schools to be learning organizations. And so really making that a priority, I think, is key. 
Yeah. So, okay. So one last question, which I know is a big, a big question on the minds of, again, lots of our listeners, which is exactly how much should school trustees give of their own money? I mean, we hear, we hear phrases like, you know, philanthropic priorities and sacrificial giving, but what does that really mean? Yeah, that, it's not funny to say that's the million dollar question. The, the, the um, <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> you know, I, I, yeah, I mean, right. The, the, the reality is, Many of my colleagues and I who do a lot of governance work with boards are say, if you've worked with one board, you've worked with one board, which is to say that, you know, every board has its own culture and and culture has a great impact on implementing best practices ultimately. So it's easy to understand the best practices, but how one school, you know, decides to go about implementing them is going to be different than another school, although they're the same practices. Now, all this is a prelude to say it depends. First of all, go back to your first question. If if we don't think fundraising and giving is important, this may not be an issue for us. But if we have a giving requirement, and I'm all for that, I mean, I think we have to think about does the way we phrase it create a floor or a ceiling? So when we look at current giving, are people maximizing what their capacity would allow? And if not, you know, we need to circle back and think about what is the requirement and how have we phrased it? If they are, you're probably in good shape. I'll tell you, I have two new, I don't think they're new, but I have two different ways of using terms that are get away from philanthropic priority. You know, who's to say what a priority is? And sacrificial giving, I've had people joke and say, you know, do you mean killing someone? You know, ha ha. But, but, you know, I use phrases like personally meaningful. You must make a personally meaningful contribution. And that means that what you and I can give may differ. It just needs to be personally meaningful. Mm-hmm. I've heard stretch gift. That's that's a little less impactful. My all-time favorite, though, is make a gift large enough that you care how the institution spends it. Mm, and I like that. That, that. Yeah, that to me is a different number for everyone based on their own personal situation. But, you know, that says something. So those with great capacity would have would, uh, you know, would make a bigger gift, you would think, right? Because they have the capacity and if they care how it's spent, it's going to be a bigger number. So um, I, I do joke that years ago, a colleague of mine said, I like the phrase, you know, give a gift that makes you proud. And I would always say, you know, we know a lot of trustees with no pride. So you, you got to be <laughs> careful about, you know, h- how you define that. But so, yeah, it's kind of different in every situation. Now I can tell you this, you know, you need to decide culture. Do you want to measure it and report to the board what giving looks like you know sometimes keeping score matters but but that's not entirely the question you asked so you know in the in the effort to make the make the the uh, trustees table not go for four hours on this on this episode <laughs> i won't go down that road well maybe we can do a follow-up episode on, on just that yeah. <laughs> okay <laughs> we could well dave thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us today i know that the insights that you shared will be so helpful to our members My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to NAIS Member Voices. Also, thanks again to this episode's sponsor, CCS Fundraising. You can learn more about how to contact them, along with some related NAIS resources from this episode, by visiting nais.org slash membervoices. Keep an eye on that page for new podcast episodes, or subscribe to automatically receive a new podcast episode in your feed each month. 
You can also find past and new episodes of The Trusty Table on iTunes, SoundCloud, TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify, and Google Play. Visit naisorg trustytable to explore resources related to this episode and others. Also, please be sure to listen and then rate and review each new episode and go back and listen to past episodes you might have missed. We'll be back with a new episode and a new season next month, and I hope you'll join us. If you have ideas for what or who you'd like to hear on the podcast, we'd love to hear from you. Please email your ideas to membership at nais.org.